Hey, hey, what's happening, kids? Had my stepdaughters here last weekend. Did a lot of cooking. Had a killer time playing dad again. Even started to get better at picking football games. <laughs> right, what, 12 and 4 last weekend. All three underdogs nailed it. So things are shaping up. It was kind of nostalgic having them here. They asked if I could make their lunches for school on Monday. They'd never ask for that. I just always did it. They prefer to eat lunch at school, you know, the school lunch. But they admitted that they loved when I would cook them lunch, so I did it. It turns out my youngest had contracted food poisoning some time back, and she was convinced that it was from eating a sandwich at the school. It sounded like one of the worst cases of food poisoning, too, because it seemed like she was sick forever. I don't want to get anybody in trouble over this. I just... I can't go into a lot of detail, but I remember going on a rampage on my life as a foodie years ago because the school lunch program here in the U.S. was just, it's always been so poor, but for a kid to get sick, especially my kid, that's way too fucked up. Anyway, I packed a decent lunch for them, for both of them, and I was happy to do it. Here's something else too. I have officially killed 17 hours of my life. Because I just finished watching The Irishman on Netflix for the fifth time since it was released. It's still a great movie. I don't care what anyone has to say about it. Fuck the haters. The disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa has been one of those unsolved mysteries that people just don't want to give up on. They don't even want the truth. They want to believe that he's buried under MetLife Stadium. Or that he escaped to South America. Or that he went to the moon. You know, anything but the truth. But the truth is, he was whacked by Frank Sheeran on orders from Russell Buffalo and Angelo Bruno. His head just got too big, and he ruffled too many feathers, and, you know, he had to go. And part of the reason why I've watched it so many times is because we all know this is probably Scorsese's last mob film, and definitely the last time we're going to see Pacino, De Niro, and Pesci together. It just did delivered. Saw some really incredible footage from the iPhone 13 Pro last week. Every year when these cameras, I mean, these phones come out, very talented photographers and filmmakers will come out of the woodwork to give everybody an idea of what these phones are capable of. And holy shit, it's amazing what you can do with these things. They use gimbals and, you know, definitely did some fancy editing with the footage. But it's, it's outright impressive. One guy shot a short film. He used cinematic mode. And I watched it very carefully because I was looking for those little detail fall-offs around the edges that I described last week. You want to know how he got around that problem? Quick edits. I mean, the second the focus pulled to the main subject, he quickly goes to the next scene so you don't notice the flaws. Smart. But man, you really have to know what you're doing to pull that off. But using it just as a basic video camera, unbelievable how crystal clear it is, and how rich those colors are when you shoot in progress. And not to sound like I crave sensationalism, but a lot of these news outlets were really burying that story about Gabby Petito last week. They had issued an arrest warrant for her boyfriend, right? He was still missing. Confiscated a bunch of stuff from his family's house. Total manhunt. But headline news, front page news, still was COVID, Haiti, the Taliban. Now, those stories are all important 
But, man, do these news organizations not know the power of true crime stories in this country? People eat that shit up. If you don't believe me, look at what trends on Netflix most of the time. Crime stories. The New York Times, it's a no-nonsense paper. But that story didn't even make it to page three. When all is said and done with this, it's going to make for, what a hell of a Netflix documentary. Unless HBO gets to it first. And speaking of documentaries, there are some great ones to watch this fall, if you're into that. First, there's The Rescue uh, from Jimmy Chin and Chai Vassarelli. Maybe I butchered her name. I'm, I don't know if I said that right. Uh, then there's this other documentary on Julia Child, simply titled Julia. The Rescue features never-before-seen uh, footage of the rescue of those 14 Thai boys who ended up trapped in an underwater cave after they entered the cave and a huge storm came in and brought water levels up so high there was no way for them to get out. So, if you don't know who Chan and Vassarelli are, they're the, they're the directors of Free Solo. That was the documentary about uh, Alex Honnold climbing El Capitan. Ended up taking home the Oscar. She's a great director. But her last two documentaries have pulled a shit ton of money. And docs really don't, generally don't make money. And she directed Meru a handful of years ago. Another great climbing movie. Okay, so remember when you were a kid and you went to your first haunted house attraction and it scared the living shit out of you because you thought you might actually die? Well, listen to this story. This happened in Berea, Ohio, just outside of Cleveland. An actor outside a haunted house accidentally stabbed an 11-year-old Brook Park boy in the foot at about 8 p.m. September 18th at the Cuyahoga County Fairgrounds. The actor, a 22-year-old Middleburg Heights man, was trying to scare people walking into the haunted house. He was among several haunted house actors roaming the grounds that night. As the boy and a friend approached, the man scraped the ground with a real Bowie-style knife that he had brought from home. The haunted house had supplied the actors with fake prop knives, but the man decided not to use one. What kind of dipshit brings an actual knife to a fake haunted house attraction? I mean, seriously. It's make-believe, you fucking nutjob. The house isn't actually haunted. And you're not actually a... Well, hold on. (laughs) Maybe you are an actual psychopath. You brought a fucking knife to a Halloween attraction? I don't want to read the whole thing here. It's kind of long. Give me a second. I just want to get to the juicy part. As if that's not juicy enough. Okay. The boy's mother was called and she drove to the fairgrounds. Police asked her if she'd like to take her son to the hospital, but the boy didn't want to go, preferring to continue visiting the haunted house. Further medical treatment was declined, and the boy, his friend, and the boy's mother all stepped into the haunted house. Now how's that for a tough kid? But absolute baller. Little bastard gets cut with a bowie knife by a chromosome-challenged knucklehead, still wants to finish the trip. Jesus Christ, not me. Man, when I was a kid, I'd have been telling my mom to bring a fresh pair of underpants. That would have scared the actual shit out of me. Ugh. All right, let's see. The actor acknowledged to police that using a real knife was not a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, no shit. (laughs) You think? He said he didn't intend to hurt anyone. Police confiscated the knife. Later, the actor's mother called saying she wanted the knife returned. (laughs) 
shit. <laughs> Give me a fucking break. Seriously? Your son used it as an assault weapon, you crazy bitch. You really want the knife back? How about please don't throw my son in jail for attempted murder? Police told her they would hold on to the knife, and if no charges were filed against her son, they would give it back. Wow. I can't even comprehend this kind of crazy, and I've done some nutty shit in my day. I used to love scaring trick-or-treaters that visited our house on Halloween, but, man, I never walked out there with a machete or an axe. I never even used a fake one. These are little kids, man. Your presence alone should be enough. Your job is to scare them, not chop their fucking limbs off. I hope this kid gets some help. And by help, I mean taken away from his crazy bitch of a mom. Can you return the knife, please? <laughs> what, Thanksgiving's coming up? What, do you need to carve the turkey or something? Jesus Christ, this country, I'm telling you. But that is one thing I miss, man. Scaring kids in that old neighborhood we lived in at Halloween. I'd planned this out for weeks. I would go to these costume stores the day after Halloween. They'd be clearing out everything, right? And I'd get full over-the-head masks with a pair of fake hands and some feet for like 10 bucks. So I'd have up to like five different monsters that I could dress up as. And I had this full black cape that covered my entire body. And I'd stick layers of tissue paper in the feet so I could walk around the neighborhood without hurting my feet, right? Because I'm six foot two already. But with that added layer... It made me look even taller. I'd walk through the neighborhood like aimlessly, right? I'd be dragging one of my feet and my arms would be in this weird position, you know, like the walking dead or a, a, a ghoul with cerebral palsy or something. And most of the kids would run or have this look of fear in their faces. And I wouldn't scare anyone who looked younger than 10. If they looked younger than 10, I'd shake their hand, let them know I was a friendly monster, you know, friend. I'd only interact with these teenagers if one of them shot off their mouth, you know, and they'd do it all the time. Call me a creep, fuck you, all this stuff. I'd play it perfectly, too. I would freeze and then slowly turn my head towards them. I'd cock my head, right, and I'd walk right at them. Nine times out of ten, they ran down the street screaming. But once in a while, I'd encounter this tough guy, thought he could handle me. So I'd walk right up to him. I'd get within three feet. And then the kid would turn around and walk away. And they'd yell all these threats at me from a distance. They were going to go get their crew, come back and kick my ass. And I would just keep walking towards them. The more they talked, the more I came at them. The fuck are these kids going to do to me? And people were laughing their asses off. Parents loved it. I made it so fun for these kids. When we moved into that neighborhood, that entire block maybe got 10 kids at Halloween. There was no lights on the street, right? We lived up in the hills. But once Kat and I started decorating the house and I started terrorizing the neighborhood, we were up to like 120 kids or more. It was a blast. And I never broke character, never took my mask off. By the end of the night, I was exhausted. But we'd just sit on our patio with some wine and just enjoy the rest of the night. I'm making Halloween special for those kids, man. It was one of the highlights of my year back then. Oh, wait, here's another article. My buddy Eric, I mean Groucho, <laughs> sent me this funny news item a couple weeks ago, and I forgot to share it with you, so I'm going to share it with you now. Texas judge gives seven-year-old right to decide custody. A seven-year-old boy 
was at the center of a county courtroom drama yesterday when he challenged a court ruling over who should have custody of him. The boy had a history of being beaten by his parents, and the judge initially awarded custody to his aunt in keeping with child custody law and regulation requiring that the family unity be maintained to the highest degree possible. The boy surprised the court when he proclaimed that his aunt beat him more than his parents, and he adamantly refused to live with her. When the judge then suggested that he live with his grandparents, the boy cried and said that they also beat him. After considering the remainder of the immediate family and learning that domestic violence was apparently a way of life among them, the judge took the unprecedented step of allowing the boy to propose who should have custody of him. After two recesses to check legal references and confer with the child welfare officials, the judge granted temporary custody to the Dallas Cowboys, whom the boy firmly believes are not capable of beating anybody. <laughs> uh, how far into that story did you see the punchline coming? Because I've read it 10 times now, and it's maybe the perfect joke. The setup is pristine. And you can use any team from any town in that joke, and it'll work every time. It's not as funny now. I should have told her three weeks ago. Cowboys are two and one. Well, my favorite was back when Jim Everett, he was a quarterback for the Rams. And he was a good quarterback, but he had a tendency to throw balls way too high over receivers' heads. Even they'd be in the clear, he'd throw over their heads. But we were involved in Desert Storm back then. So my joke was, uh, do you know who would be the perfect person to overthrow the government of Iraq? Jim Everett. He overthrows everybody. And Facebook announced that they were shelving the idea of Instagram for kids for a while. Great, Zuckerberg. What do you want, a fucking cookie? You know, when they announced that idea, people were losing their shit, me included. I think I went off here about it, if I recall. Facebook's a shit show. But Instagram for kids, that'd be a pedophile's dream app. Seriously. Facebook's got to be shut down. I'm not one for censorship or killing business, but look what that app has done to society. It's ruined us. It's brought out so much ugliness, so much misinformation. You got people fighting. They're organizing criminal activities. Things that you would think would only be found on the dark web as happening on Facebook. And whenever the government gets involved, Zuckerturd makes some hollow statement, swears to reevaluate everything with his team. Bullshit. He goes back to work and they hope everything will just blow over and we'll forget about it. But closing down Facebook would murder the ad business. But it's going to survive. It always has survived. The thing that's really gross about this was the fact that Facebook, they saw an untapped ad market, kids 16 and under. Marketing to kids' parents, that's one thing. But marketing to them directly, that's just vile. Can you imagine how many disputed credit card charges do you think would result from that? Because kids don't care. They'll lift their parents' plastic to get what they want. This is horrible, man. Another thing that's not going away, cars running over cyclists and drivers being set free. There's another headline I read. Teen who ran over six cyclists outside Houston walks free. This happened last Saturday, but the county district attorney said he wasn't even made aware of this situation until he found out about it on social media. 
A witness told the local news outlet that the teenager deliberately tried to mess with the cyclist, said he was going to scare them by smoking them on the road. I didn't know what this was. I guess it refers to when a, a driver will go ahead of the, of, the, of the cyclists and blow exhaust from the truck into the cyclist's path. So this teenager doesn't know how to fucking drive, so he runs him down instead, and the cops let him go. So like either this kid is connected, or Texas doesn't like cyclists on the road, or maybe a little of both. Oh man, I'm telling you, bike paths. It's the only place where you're going to be safe. It sucks, but it's true. I'll tell you something else too. These networks are getting greedy as hell. Every network now has its own streaming platform, right? You know that. But you're still paying for cable. Or maybe maybe you've gotten wise and you cut the cord like I did and just subscribe to the things you like to watch. So NBC is now in this battle with Google over this uh, the negotiations that are going on with YouTube TV. NBC is trying to renegotiate the contract, but Google's telling them they're asking for way too much money. So now NBC started running this banner along the bottom of the screen for YouTube TV uh, subscribers, telling them that you know they're going to lose 14 or more channels if Google doesn't renegotiate and pay them what they want. Like if you've ever been a subscriber to a cable service that's in the middle of a contract battle with a network, you'll understand what I'm talking about. So NBC has pre-written these tweets for people to send out, pressing Google to fork over the money, or they're going to switch to another service. So guess what Google does? They send an email to every subscriber telling them that if they lose access to NBC's channels, they're going to drop the service price by 10 bucks a month and anybody who wants NBC's content can subscribe to Peacock, which is NBC's streaming service, for 5 bucks. So that's a $5 savings, which I'm sure is going to make any subscriber happy. Then NBC went one step further. Not only did they want Google to pay them more money for the content, they were asking Google to bundle Peacock into everyone's YouTube TV subscription, which would crank up everyone's monthly subscription. Add to that, they'd be paying for the same content twice. Like everything on Peacock is already available on NBC channels. So they're double dipping. My God, that's just pure greed. And this is the kind of bullshit that forced me out of subscribing to cable in the first place. When I was with DirecTV, they were always in dispute with somebody. And the worst one was Viacom, which owns perhaps one of the weakest lineups on television. Nickelodeon, MTV, TV Land, VH1. Anyone spending a lot of time watching any of that? Seriously? Like my cable bill was going to go up because you motherfuckers with some of the weakest content on television want more money for that bullshit you're slinging? The fuck out of here with that. And when the negotiating is over, right, the cable company will tell you they fought for you, they buried the dispute, don't worry, your bill's not going up. And then a few months later, after you've forgotten about it, you get another email saying that operating costs are rising, right? And they got to crank up your monthly bill for five bucks, but it's only five bucks, so it's no big thing. Until six months later, they crank it up another five bucks. This is why people pay for VPNs and steal shit. And who could blame them? NBC is full of shit, so is Google. A while back, Google got into a fight with Roku because they wanted more money from Roku for providing their content which Roku was not willing to pay them. So Roku pulled YouTube TV from the App Store 
only to have Google come back and tell their customers they could access YouTube TV from the YouTube app, which Roku was never going to pull down because everyone watches YouTube. But do this. Do this. This is an experiment. Go through your entire channel lineup. How many channels do you get? 120, 80, maybe 50? Go down the entire channel list. Count how many of those channels you never visit. I'll almost guarantee you it's more than half. That's what you're paying for. Now is it worth it? Seriously, man. Screw these people. They're all crooks. Stupid. Hey, out of curiosity, I looked in the iTunes store to see if Roadrunner was available for pre-sale. And lo and behold, it was. 15 bucks, 4K HDR, cheaper than buying the DVD. It's in full HD, so... I bought it, and I watched it yesterday evening. I was in tears a few times at the end, and not because of the loss of Tony, but I saw how it impacted so many people who knew him personally and how sad they were. Not one person being interviewed outside of Eric Repair didn't tear up. In fact, when pressed to talk about Tony's suicide, Eric said that's the one thing he will not discuss. Eric's face was stoic. No emotion. Eric, of all people, was probably the most disappointed and pissed off that, you know, Tony did what he did. And if you want to truly understand suicide, forget it, because it's inexplicable. Obviously, a person has got to be in a very dark place to do that. But you simply can't imagine that this person that you know, that you see so much life still left in, would make a decision like that. But what the documentary did explain, which made a lot of sense if you truly think about it, is that Tony, from the time he was a young boy, was wrapped up in books and film. He wanted to live inside of stories, even going so far as to emulate some of them in the episodes of his show. He wanted to live in a world of film and books, make-believe, because the real world was just a little too fucked up for him. And the man was an addict. If it wasn't drugs and alcohol or cigarettes, It was traveling, or making TV, doing his work, or falling in love. He was addicted. When he'd do something, he did it a lot. But his life was just this giant circle. He grew up in a dark place, ended up in a dark place. Getting married and having a kid, becoming a dad, was nothing more than a detour before he eventually did the inevitable, got back on the road he was destined to travel. You know, one of darkness and a crazy car chase until he finally took it off a cliff in a blaze of glory, you know. He had been seeing a therapist and they showed one of his first sessions. He let them film it. And he admitted to her that his thoughts are almost always those of anger, of hurting people, or himself. And she asked him an important question. Did he want to change that? Did he truly want to like not have thoughts of anger or hurting others? Or was he comfortable in those thoughts? It was very telling that they never showed his answer. I don't know if he said yes or no. But knowing the answer to that question would have explained quite a bit. Like the fact that he seeked help toward the end was great. But I think he was a bridge too far by then. And sure, there, there, may, there might have been a, a, an opportunity for a turning point. But then he met Aja, his newest addiction. And that's what sealed the deal for him. A little fucking discretion. That's what he told his director that night.
after the tabloid report came out. A little fucking discretion. Bourdain was a guy who was a romantic at heart, you know. I'm like that. He looked for the beauty in everything. But he became a cynic over time. And the things that I felt I had in common with him are as far away from the things that I didn't. My cynicism is, a, is fake, all right? His was real. I don't, think as, I don't think I'm as unalike as the rest of you in that regard, right? I think we all fell in love with the romantic notion of who he was. We adopted his cynicism because it made us feel kind of cool. But it wasn't as real for us as it was for him. If that turned out to be true, we'd have followed his path all the way to the grave. And does it make us all posers? Yeah, probably. I feel like that. But that's what made him real and where we drew the line in the sand. I'd rather be here than where he is today. I'll follow anyone that I think is cool, but only so far. We all have our limits, right? And maybe we exploited him. Maybe we were living vicariously through him, but not so far that we adopted his depression, which ultimately drove him to destroy himself. You all know my personal history with depression, as most of you know, right? I understand it, and I, I fucking hate it. It's, it tears lives to pieces. I've seen the destruction that it can bring, both to the person it affects as well as the families and everybody else around them. I don't take it lightly. And when I learned of his death, I saw just how deep the rabbit hole could go. It sucked. But it didn't make it any easier for me than it did for any of you who idolized him the the way I did. But the man was a loner. He was alone with his thoughts more often than he had company. So it was fitting that he died alone with his thoughts. But that's how he chose to live. So my immediate thoughts when I heard the news three years ago, I feel validated by those now, now that I've seen the movie and heard from the people who were close to him, I was pissed off. I was let down. Sad, for sure, right? But genuinely blindsided and disappointed. And I think it's natural to feel that way. That's not to say that we don't understand where he must have been when he made that decision. But it's okay to have whatever feelings you have when something like that happens. The aftermath of situations like that are left for us to dissect. And however we feel like reacting to them is okay. Those are our emotions, our feelings. We own that. But what's horrible about watching documentaries like this, any story, is that you know how it ends going in. There's no happy ending. And if we live our lives as Tony wished to live his, you know, where there was no happy ending, we're destined to break a lot of hearts. So lift yourself up, okay? Do positive things. Embrace whatever thoughts you're having, bright or dark. Because let's face it, look, life sucks a lot. What do they say? In in every life, a little rain must fall. Anyone who tells you otherwise, they're bullshitting you. Life is not a, a stripper with big tits and a bowl of Viagra. It can be shit sometimes. So get help for that darkness in your life before the end of the road comes, okay? Don't run from having a real life like Tony did. What we saw on television... That wasn't Tony's real life. That was his TV life. They didn't title this thing Roadrunner for nothing. He was always looking for an escape. He was running from life. And eventually, it caught up with him. Uh, Hey, listen, I can't leave the show on a bummer note. I've done that before and it sucked. So here's this. So there's a man and a woman, complete strangers, right? They've been assigned to the same sleeping room 
on a train it's traveling across the country. So at first, they were a little embarrassed, uneasy over sharing a room. They didn't know each other. But they were both really tired, and they said, let's just go to sleep, right? So he slept in the upper bunk, and she took the lower bunk. At about one in the morning, the man leans down and, you know, quietly wakes the women up, and he says, uh, hey, listen, I'm sorry to bother you, but would you be willing to reach into that closet and get me a second blanket because I'm really cold? She says, I have a better idea. Just for tonight, let's pretend that we're married. He says, wow, okay, that's a great idea. She says, good, get your own fucking blanket. About a moment later, he farted. And that's my show for the week. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, my name is Phil, and this has been Inane. Cheers. (laughs) 